Good morning. So glad you are here. And um, I've been thoroughly encouraged what my leaders, um, particularly my, my leader and Dr. Steve Timmis, has talked about and understand healthy plurality. And then um, Dr. Tony Marita, I call him Dr. Tony Stark. And, um, and how he's talked about that transition as I come from an African-American Baptist church where both of these talks were very critical, important for me um, growing up. And so, the, so my, I've been tasked to jump now into the, the mode and model of leadership development. And my leadership development, de um, developing leaders will come with urban context because I've served there for over 20 years. But I don't want you to clock out or hang up on me because you hear urban stuff, because those urban things work in suburban, center city, and rural context. Don't tap out. I've been to TGCs and every other conference, and I've had to listen and translate a little bit. Amen. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And um, take it home. So if it's from the Bible, then you can use it. Amen but my examples would be fake if they weren't hood. <laughs> so my idea is, is um, healthy leadership formation in church planting, or as I like to call it, building from the broken. Building from the broken. When I moved to Camden, New Jersey, one of the most violent, dangerous cities in America, um, I grew up in the hood in Patterson, New Jersey, and grew up amongst violent cousins, uncles. I loved them. They were crazy. I didn't realize that they were like newspaper criminals. But one thing I've learned is when I talk to people in Camden, New Jersey and any other city I've been to, when I talk to drug dealers, I ask questions like, bro, how you just sell drugs like regular, like your gig? like a company. And they say, well, see, when I was five, my dad, and then when I was like 11, my cousins, and then as I got older and got to high school, the bros saw how I was working hard and doing my little side business as a young boy, and then they began to help me. And then one of the dudes on the block saw my entrepreneurial skills and he gave me some free coke to get started. When I was in high school, by the time I got to college, I was the biggest drug dealer at the college and getting a 3.2 GPA. I said, well, how'd you pull that off? Oh, he says, I give him drugs for writing my papers. So what am I screaming, building from the broken? The story is simple. There was cultivation in the life of young men who are long-term drug dealers on my block. Somebody has nurtured them and built from the city of the populace of that city to develop out an empire of illegalities. But they've been nurtured, they've been coached, they've been developed in a slow cooking process 
to make them what they are. And I think for the church, we've lost the element of building from the broken pieces of the city in which we go to because all we do is do Amazon orders of leaders. Amazon Prime because we don't want to pay for the flight. And I'm saying I want to call us and challenge us to not just import leaders, but to raise up leaders. And I'm not saying importing leaders is wrong. I'm an imported leader into Camden. But I'm saying, can we do both and? And this is a big topic that is often ignored. This issue has plagued us. Luther stepped into this conversation. Calvin stepped into this conversation. I, I just feel that we have to build from the people in the city. But we have, we've got often an anemic strategy for training up leaders in the church. How do we connect? How do we clarify? How do we catechize? How do we mobilize for effective gospel-centered ministry? My argument is simply we must find the foundation of discipleship of all people in Christ's church. We must find the foundation for discipleship. Matthew 28 is the booby trap for us to build from the broken. Jesus sends us to the city, plant a church, pastor a church, make disciples in that city, reaching out to the streets, the highways, the byways. And then from those unbelieving people, those converts, we are to make disciples, constantly making disciples, not one time, not new members class, not just the book study through the Puritan paperback, but to walk them from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. And from that pile of converts that now become mature, those are our new pastors, our new leaders, and our new elders. But often we ignore that and we run them only through the new member class for eight weeks while we're on, while we're calling back to our networks, our denominations, looking on, the, asking around if they've got a leader ready and we don't want to cook them. Grubhub, Uber Eats, why cook, right? <laughs> Just order it in and eat it from there. But from the pool of disciples that we would make, we can pull leadership from there. So as we implement our city reach and church plan and vision, we begin to get all types of people, and those people often come with problems, predicaments, and pressures. So why am, I, why am I saying we need to build from the broken, but we don't, is because it's much harder, much longer, and much more difficult to take, for me, on the block, a dude who I'm trying to tell him to stop selling Coke, who's making more money than every pastor I know, and to walk with Jesus, stop that, get a GED, and I'm going to help him find a job. Now that guy, I've got to see him go from spiritual darkness to spiritual light, and then from spiritual, light, spiritual maturity, inf spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. That's 10, 15 years of hard labor. And we just don't have the network denominational structure that would allow us that kind of money and that kind of runway to do it. And I'm saying we need to learn to push back on our denominations and networks when they want microwave disciples when the gospel calls us to crackpot ministry. When it comes to crockpot ministry, we cook them slow. We need some brisket Christians. 
nothing worse than some quick brisket. That's just called burnt meat. <laughs> Last thing we need is a burnt disciple. He'll just think of the whole church angry. So we need to cook them slow. So this is the idea of having a church. This is the idea of the church being a garden, not a grocery store. There's no gardens at the grocery store. They bring the food in with trucks. But the garden has to be cultivated because a garden grows, but a grocery store gets. The garden requires cultivation, work, process. You, you have to make the process and trust the process. No immediate results. Um, Crock-pot style, brisket style. But it's going to call for a paradigm shift. This is, this is going to call us away from calling the trained to training the call. Even as I look at eldership in 1 Timothy, um, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, primary requirement was, was consistent across all three was the character, calling, and competencies. Character, calling, and competencies. Gifting was not on that list. When you guide the meat from the store, if you buy it seasoned, you're lazy. But if you buy that meat raw just from the butcher and then have to soak it in that good stuff to, and then put it on that thing, sweating over that grill, making that brisket, just sweating, miserable in and outside of the house. If you live like Tony in North Carolina, you got to fight the mosquitoes and the flies. But after 13, 14 hours on that smoker, you done missed half of every game you tried to watch that day. <laughs> that brisket is done, and it is long and arduous work, but yet it's so worth it. So we need guys with character, calling, and competencies. This is what Paul's calling in Timothy. So we have to build up biblically faithful, theological rich leaders that are in the city from the city and for the city and that are being transformed by God's grace. And Manny Ortiz says this in his book, indigenous leaders, by indigenous leaders we mean those who have been raised in an urban context in a particular culture and, and sociological milieu who consider this, con this context their own psychologically and sociologically, indigenous leaders find the city their home. So all I'm screaming is that's who you want. You want the guy who knows the city. You want the guy who loves the city. But we just need him to be filled with the Holy Ghost and blessed with your training, blessed with your life. But it's going to cost us something. It costs Jesus something. First, I'm going to talk about it costing you something. Then I want to walk the rest out and make my time. But see, when we talk about these crockpot brisket Christians, it's going to cost you something beyond you spending 42 hours in Lagos getting your sermon perfect for 34 minutes so nobody gets upset. And so for me, when somebody comes to Christ on my block, I was just on the phone with a young man. I live in Richmond now. I'm from Camden. And um, man, that dude came to Christ. That, that, that dude was at my house every 15 minutes. Yo, what's up, man? Now, I was ready to get high, but, you know, I'm a Christian now. You got some money? <laughs> you know. <laughs> Down my house, around my family, it cost me something. It cost me time. 
It, it, it can be dangerous as they're around my, my family, at my house. It's time consuming. And I know you want to say, but you have to pastor. Yes, this is pastoring. I don't sidestep to Lagos and ignore humans and call that pastoring. Now, I'm not against Lagos. I've got probably the biggest library. I'm bragging. And, um, but man, pastoring is not just sermon prep. And pastoring is not making just a cool church. Pastoring often is the grace that we receive in dealing with the interruptions in our rhythms, not just the rhythms. My argument for this leadership style is Jesus. Jesus is our model. So I'm saying in Matthew 28, the Great Commission calls us to this. We would make disciples of all nations. And in making disciples in all nations, starting in the city we've been called to, we would pull from that crop and we would reach the nations and reproduce over and over again. But that leader must have the model in mind of Jesus. Jesus knew his mission. He was steadfastly committed to achieving it. He, received, he refused to be paralyzed by fear. And without hesitation, he would communicate the mission with passion and initiate the strategy for success. Harry Reader talks about that in his book, The Leadership Dynamic. Jesus knew the mission and he was committed to achieving it, making disciples from all nations. The, in leadership development, you need time with the person to know the character and to know them. Leadership development is a family model. I love that Jesus comes and he steps in and he just starts pulling folk into him, not just as projects, but as people. Matthew 4, 18 and 22, Jesus calls fishermen, not synagogue-trained men. While walking on the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left the nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left their boats and their father and followed him. Matthew 9, 9, Jesus recruits religious rejects. As Jesus passed from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. Jesus called the most unlikely candidate into his circle, the tax collector. The, he was rejected and hated as he would seemingly be sleeping with the enemy. Mark 3, 14 through 19, Jesus sought, he desired, and the disenfranchised for ministry. And he went up to the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He had a desire, the will he had in mind, tended. So this desire is he intended for this crew. He had a plan, intentionality. He wasn't reacting. He was responding to the mission of seeing all people know him through the power of the cross, through the power of the gospel. And he picked out a crew. And that crew is often not what we pick through for our churches. We ignore a lot of the people on this list. Jesus didn't use monster.com. He worked with the raw material 
of willing untrained indigenous populace of unskilled men to establish his church. Not only was he willing to use indigenous folk as the foundation of his church, he clearly set up as foundation the disenfranchised. So at the core, it was the disenfranchised, mixed with the religious to be one crazy, mixed up gumbo gospel church. He understood his disciples as family and friends. Do we think about making disciples from, from converts to make them from indigenous unbelievers to indigenous leaders? Do we see them as family and friends or we see them as projects in which to complete? Paul was not much different. He did utilize relocated leaders model as well. He shows up basically an ISIS leader, convinces Timothy's mom to let him go. I mean, I would have called the police on her. Do you know about this dude? You just going to let your son leave with him? Paul shows up to town after having been a part of killing and murdering and then, yeah, I need your son to come with me. He just shows up to town and takes your son. My son works for Acts 29. Steve Timmons sort of did that to my son too. (laughs) He weaves, but he's a good old dude. He did utilize relocated leaders. He grabbed Paul, Timothy, and he sold Titus, Timothy too. And I love what he tells Timothy. He says, and I call this the transfer pack, the transfer um, dossier. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's that beautiful committed legacy transfer of legacy of transfer, legacy of transfer. The reason I left you, Titus 1.5, the reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone. And as I directed you to appoint elders in every town. So he was constantly setting up leaders, constantly causing for, for transformation. And this would not have been some special deal in comparison to discipleship. This would have been continued discipleship. So when you come to know Christ, you, you get discipled and that discipleship keeps, keeps expanding. You don't get to a discipleship ceiling and stop. And then you step over into the leadership ceiling because you move from Padawan to Jedi. No, we're Padawans forever. Jesus is the only Jedi, the last Jedi. What are some barriers? Some barriers are, we're only look, are we only looking through the lens of seminary trained dudes? Seminary only based leadership does not include everybody and can form an elitist group and culture. Most MDivs at many schools cost more than my house in Camden. So if I sold my house and moved into somebody's basement, five years later I could graduate and maybe pastor. And that's with three kids. Are we building a culture of seminary trained dudes that will push back people off the block who can't read, people from rural communities that can't, that been getting along in life just fine. I hope not. Are we only looking through the lens of denominationally loyal and committed dudes? Can I say this? What denominations don't realize is they're not neutral. Institutions have been formed by culture and continue to reinforce culture. 
And if that culture is a monoculture, well, then you're going to only have churches that look exactly like that denomination. And it's going to take away from our beautiful all-nations gospel, our all-nations message, our all-nations mission that we're landing in all-nations heaven. And we're going to miss the poor folk. We're going to miss folks with language barriers. Are we looking through the lens of financial pressures and success expectations of denominations, sending churches, egos, and self-glory? Do you feel the pressure? I'm a church planner, and I've helped to plant about 11 churches. About 10, 12 dudes, 11 dudes call me their father in the ministry. I know the pressure of getting to 50 people. I know how to take a picture at an angle to make 50 look like 100. I know how to say we have 40 plus people. That's 41. <laughs> I know how to do that. But will that make me fake? We're either, make, we're either making disciples or faking disciples. The strain, so I talk about a crockpot Christian. The opposite, the alternative is a frying pan Christian, a frying pan discipleship model, which looks done on the outside, but is raw on the inside. So the strain of frying pan success pressure to import train from outside in the city and ignore the call within the city is becoming a problem. I want to say this and I'm about done. I got a few minutes. I talked about what blocks us from building from the broken and building healthy leadership development models that will extend beyond our lives. What stops us? Can I point you to your grandkids and great-grandkids? Are you leaving them a legacy of grace or a legacy of disgrace? Are our grandkids going to have to sit around while hundreds of people candidate at our churches because we didn't raise up leaders from within? Or are we going to be able to hand the baton from within our own churches and our own cities of people who love our city, love our church, who've known us, who are like family to us, who become the next deacons, next elders, and next leaders in our church? Candidating, I'm not against it, it's not bad. But man, I don't know if I see this candidating in the New Testament. I see transfer, passing the baton. We're not passing the baton. We're searching for a special Yoda pastor to fit our pulpit. And we've got to raise up our own. What blocks us? Is it ability or opportunity? John Piper, Dr. Piper told us years ago, brothers, we are not professionals. We say yes to that, but we still operate like professionals when it comes to developing leaders. Many of us have Myers-Briggs doing our leadership search and development over against the Holy Spirit. Acts 13, they prayed. They prayed for leaders, prayed for leaders. We've stopped praying and we go straight to the internet. Google is our new altar. I talked about functionality with my drug dealer analogy, my drug deal explanation. There are drug dealers who can sell drugs, high function drug dealers on the block 
who have been cultivated in sin and evil of that profession, of that crime. Could you imagine them with the Holy Ghost if we had cultivated them so they can handle 40 employees in illegal stock? Imagine with a Bible and 10 years of your pastoring, pastor, 10 years of your love, 10 years of your house, 10 years of your books, 10 years of your logos, 10 years of bleeding with him, 10 years of crying with him. It would change, make a whole difference. And this is not survivor church planning. This is legacy for our great, great, great grandkids until Christ comes home, comes back to take us home. So when I see that functionality and that investment, I so want us to do that. So what are some basic ways we can do that? I stole this from one of the pastors. I'm, 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 the, I'm the church planning pastor of Remnant Church in, in Richmond, Virginia, and, there's, and I'm Pastor Doug, and there's another Pastor Doug. They call him White Doug, and they call me Black Doug. I, everybody calls me Diddy, so I'll say this, and I'm done. What are the basics? What am I screaming that we should do? We must make leadership incubators. And this I stole from Pastor Doug. He calls it poem. Patiently optimistic, ecclesiocentric transformationalism. Patiently optimistic, ecclesiocentric transformationalism. Doug Logan translation. Time, trust, and trial factor. Crockpot over frying pan. We are not required to touch down and make homegrown leaders overnight. That's why we have solid core team. But over time, your leadership be more and more folk from the city, community, and neighborhood. Your goal should not only be to find the most qualified from outside, but also a prime example of what God has done from within the church. We must cultivate and coordinate an environment for leadership development. So we must, we must create this garden. We must create, we must cultivate leaders in our churches have to be gardens and farms where we produce and reproduce leaders for multiple generations that many and any would know Christ. And I say a couple of ways we can do this is through internships, through residencies, and through recruitment. Pastor Tony jumped in Acts 14. They invested in relationships, Paul says, and that key thing, they preached the gospel to that city. After Paul was beat down, he still invested, made disciples. And then at the, and in verse 23 in Acts 14, it says in, they appointed elders for all the churches. Nothing stopped him developing leaders because he wanted to see the church formed, healthy, and growing so that for every generation, there would be a potent set of, a, a potent set of leaders that invested in a broken set of people that would turn into a potent set of leaders that would invest into the next generation of leaders that many in itty would be smacked in the face with the grace of Christ through the healthy leadership models that we develop that would become a part of the culture of our church that would extend far beyond our death. This is the hope. This is our prayer. And our goal should be to find those broken people and pour everything out into them at the risk of them hating us and walking away. It's worth it.
because when they pop up, they're a problem to deal with in the city. They know every crack corner, and for me, every drug dealer, they know everybody. And they know how to get the gospel to same as it is in rural areas. They know every rural area person, and they know how to get to them. And for your city, they know every coffee shop who makes the best latte, and they know how to get to them. <laughs> Father, thank you. Um, I thank you for Pastor Steve leading us and pointing us again to Jesus and his picture of healthy plurality and Pastor Tony and setting up healthy plurality in our churches. We, we don't do this as a niche but we do this, we talk about this, God, as because we believe it's in the Bible. And we so want the church to be loaded with Bible dudes and Bible ladies. Not just one or two dudes that know, seem to know everything. So God, use the rest of this time as we go into Q&A to move in our hearts, to shake us up a little bit, and to give us practical tools to go home and utilize for the advancement of your name in our city. In Christ's name, amen.